Hello there, I'm Karen Sander. You are listening to Aging Fearlessly, a program for the over 50s, those uniquely wonderful baby boomers. My aim is to educate, motivate and inspire you to embrace the exciting journey of life for decades to come. So stay tuned to meet a variety of guests who will share their stories and passions to help us gain insight into the ways to live a happier, healthier life. Now, welcome everyone. This is Karen Sander. Sierra Leone is a long way from Australia. It's a small country on the coast of West Africa. The capital is Freetown, where today's ageing fearlessly guest grew up. Aminata Conte Bijer is an accomplished author, wife, mother, and CEO of the Aminata Maternal Foundation. She is also a refugee, one of the first to come to Australia. So welcome, Aminata. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much. (laughs) It is a pleasure to have you on the show. I heard about you through a mutual friend who speaks so highly of you. And I know you're a very busy woman. I'm productive, not busy. (laughs) (laughs) Productive. Well, I like that. Is it work smart, not hard? Yes, yes. So, Aminata, you grew up in a place that's far from Australia, in Africa, Mm. and not many Australians visit this region. It's sort of not on the tourist list. Can you describe life in Sierra Leone growing up as a child? Oh, growing up as a child, I think the only, when I think of Sierra Leone as a child growing up, it's simply glorious, simply glorious. I grew up with my father my three other siblings, my dad was a businessman. I went to um, really good school. School is really fun in Africa. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, and my dad um, was very hands-on with his children, very, very hands-on. So I didn't grow up with a mother, but we grew up looking at our dad as a mother figure, which is very rare, a little bit in Africa. In, uh, so, but my childhood was just full of so much love and laughter, but more importantly, protection. My dad protects us with his life. So um, it, it's incredible because I didn't either think of coming to the West. I didn't think the West, I didn't think anything of the Western world. So I was in a really, I grew up quite privileged, extremely privileged. I know it's a word that Western people are scared to use on themselves um, and, and quite in a bubble. You know, my dad was still, he, we, I was in a place where there was a beautiful balance where it didn't, even though we had a privilege, we had, it was taught with responsibility for others. So, yeah, so my childhood was just, um, just marvelous. I I just loved it. Every minute of it. You mentioned school was really fun. What made school so much fun? Oh, it's just games and, and the way we interact, which is quite different when I came to Australia. To um, There is no such thing as bully. I'll, I'll find my girlfriend the next day we're talking, <laughs> laughing. And, um, and I was in a school band. You know, it's such a big, fun thing. And we just played really games. So when I came to Australia, I went to school. I was quite, it was so tight. Everybody was, I feel so uptight, you know. <laughs> 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 it was, I think a lot of people would agree with you there. Yeah, was, school can be very uptight. Yeah, it was super free. It was just fun. And, and, and I think because 
knowing what I know now in the Western world about all the the, the, the probably issue around mental problem around uh, um, I don't even know what uh, um, depression or, or or pre-pressure like when people pressure you to yeah, do things. Pre-pressure, yeah, yeah, that is something that it's. It's not in our culture. Like somebody will say something to me, like, oh, no, I don't want to do it. Like just a no. Our no is very clear, <laughs> you know? Yeah. <laughs> so I, I still, I'm still getting my head around it. So that's why I work with a lot of schools. Um, yeah. because I, 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 it never really bothered me, those things. So, yeah, so it was quite fun, very fun. And can I just ask, what languages were spoken in Sierra Leone? So Sierra Leone is colonized um, by the British, where first it was the Portuguese and they hand us over to the British. <laughs> um, nothing, like, nothing like an easy handover. I know, easy handover. That is so, every time I say that, it's just funny. And then, so we speak English at school, but we speak a language called Creole. So it's broken English. So about 80% of the words are English. It's just the di- the dialogue. So it was kind of around slavery when slaves were returned. So the, the, yep. well, then we have a native language. Like I have my mother tongue and I have my father tongue. So so you have a mixture of that. But mainly everybody speak. Ninety five percent of people speak Creole, which is broken English. Do you still speak that at all with friends? Yes, yes I do with my family. It's like it's part. It, it stays with you, especially I came here as a. As a as an age where I've matured and I have to learn the accent here. So it's very hard. You can still people I still have the accent with me, but in the way I pronounce things, we have a lot of R. So most of the time I, when I would say something in Australia, people were like, What did you just say? And in my head, I'm thinking like, I just spoke English, <laughs> but <laughs> obviously it's not English. Um, but um, yeah, no, I still speak it with my cousins and my kids. Uh, my daughter is 10 and my son if I'm speaking to my friends or my sisters they understand every single thing and they actually speak it or they just understand it they understand it they they want to but it's very hard because in my home here my husband is French and I'm Australian so I can only I cannot speak to my husband Creole I have to speak to him English because he's trying to improve his English so yeah well actually I have to say your accent is very sexy Oh, you know, <laughs> glamorizes you. your yeah. look even more. <laughs> uh, I've grown to embrace it. I was very, I was very uncomfortable. I was not. That I was uncomfortable with it, with it, but I was, I was laughed at when I would say something, and people, and people like, oh, not, not like into in any kind of bad way, but I think because the accent, so friends would laugh. So I didn't understand why, they, and which was embarrassing, but. And then I, I, I really have to, I, it was almost when I was having a conversation, I would have to think to say the right word and I'm trying and it still doesn't come out right. So yeah, yeah I've gone to, it's who I am. So I love it. Oh no, I, you should never change that. Just okay. keep the accent going, girl. <laughs> um, I hope I've got the age right. But when you were 18, you were snatched by rebel soldiers because there was a civil war going on in um in Sierra Leone that lasted 11 years. Yes. And a war that claimed so many lives. What were the events leading up to you being snatched or kidnapped? I, the event was, um, we, the war had been going for a long time and the rebels have been trying to get into the capital city, Freetown, which is where I live. Um, so we, we, we were very familiar with the stories. Like, for example, what you're seeing in any part of the world in Ukraine right now, 
he hear, we hear these stories and it comes close and close. So, so January 6th, which is a very big thing for um, Sierra Leone, we we'll call it Gen 6. Um, it's when the rebels arrived. Even though we knew they were closed, we were still going on with our lives because it's been happening for 10 years and we're uh-huh. like, they're not going to come to the city. Um, so when it happens, it was a school night, we were sleeping, and it felt like they just came from the cloud, the rebels. It just like felt like they came from the cloud. And that's because they were already in the city. They were you just didn't... civilians. Ah. So we didn't know. So they were already in the city and they were waiting. So that's when they uh, uh, attacked. Um, we were supposed to go to school. And in the middle of the night, we just hear this echo of sound. It was just like a volcano. And as soon as we woke up with our son, every single person knew with we this is it, you know, because there's nowhere to run to anymore. They, they've gone yeah. all over the village and we're in the city. And so, yeah, we woke up and I remember my father just coming upstairs in because our house, it was the biggest house in the area. And my dad came up and locked all the gates and make sure that just he didn't want us to run away. Like yeah. safety, because that's what happened. Or, um, he wanted us to be in the same room and if something was to happen, to happen to all of us at the same time. So he didn't want us running away. So yeah, so it was, uh, it was uh, yeah, it was just purely hell, living in hell because we, I remember we opened the window and my house had a tinted glass so it was like a bulletproof house. My dad, everything my dad built in our home was from Europe. So <laughs> what was, we could see people from the outside but people could not see us from the inside. So we were seeing the horror. It yeah. was, it, it, the, the way I could describe it when I describe this scene is like you cannot take your, your eyes off the horror because you're seeing it and you're thinking in two seconds, in one second, in one minute, that's going to be me. Uh-huh. So you're hearing the sound, the people being, like it was just the people being burned, just smoke, they put petrol in a, like, Oh, I always, when I hear war going on, I always say, God, we don't know. People don't know what war is. In terms of war, we live in a very lucky country yes. here in Australia. Yes. But at the moment, with Ukraine, it must bring back many thoughts oh, to you. so much, so much, so much memories that, um, because when I think of these things, I smell when I'm, as I'm talking about the war, I'm, I can smell dead body right away. Yeah. I, can, I can physically, like, really be there. I can see so when I see what is happening in Ukraine, it's just in, in, in Africa, in Syria, nobody could see us. Nobody, now I know nobody was watching for us. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's all over the place. And, and, and you see what you see, people carrying things. And, and you see how also how the news talk about it. And, you, and I think you're in this disbelief. People, do you know what is happening? Because you can report about it. But yeah. until you're there. You know, and what I feel like this Ukraine war is so unnecessary, you know, yeah. all of a sudden, then boom, and we're watching, we're talking about it, we're wishing them solidarity, strength. I'm like, no, oh, Lord, no. The children, yeah. and the women are the ones that become casualty, and the men take guns and fight. Yeah, like, yeah it's no um, solidarity in that. No. Yeah. Thoughts go out to them, and it, it must mean, as you as you understand, you can smell it, feel it, because you've ha- had those experiences yeah. before. But what thoughts were going through your mind at the time when this fighting was going on around you, and you're locked in a room with your dad and your, your siblings? 
what sort of thoughts were going through your minds? What concerns did you have? Well, the concerns is because we were in the house, we can't run away. And uh, in any second, we're going to smell petrol and we're going to be burned because burning was so part of the war and amputation, cutting your, your hands. Oh. Yeah. yeah. So if you go to Sierra Leone, you see a lot of people with, so they will ask you long sleeve or short sleeve. Oh, no. Yeah. So, and you could hear people screaming. Oh, as you hear, as you or watch them. Um, so when you're in a war zone, you do not think about the second and the, you, you just, you're moving along. There's no way you can even imagine the next minute because you don't have the next minute. Yeah, gosh. So it's like, a, it, 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 yeah, it's just the anticipation. Bomb is falling and you're seeing people dead body next to you. You're just chasing, you're just going. So for me, I think I live in a place where I go like, how am I even here? Most of the time, most of the time, I have to touch myself when I was pregnant. So you, nobody thinks, you don't think. One thing that happens with war is every single second you're making up ideas. As, as, you, as, you, as you're in a scene, you're making up the ideas to survive. So things are happening. You're, you become so creative. It's not even a creative. I think it's something that is born, that is in us when it comes to surviving. Yeah. So in that space, you, you're becoming so creative that you've never thought you'd ever be. Maybe it's part of that fright and flight. For most of us, thank goodness, we're not in that situation that we have to use those survival methods that you're embracing and and trying to to figure out how to survive the next minute. Oh, my goodness. And you don't have time to be fearful. Fearful is not even a thing because by the time you're thinking about being fear or being crying, like something has happened. So, yeah. so you don't yeah. have a time to do that. Your body moves, your brain moves, and you just follow through. You just follow through. And the shock afterwards is another level, I'm sure. Yes. Well, as you see people who have gone through war, as you see a lot of them have um, just in that, they've sit with it, and it depends on how people, I'm very, very grateful for the way I have. But I think as Africans too, we know we don't get that kind of sympathy, empathy for people. So we just move along with life. Yeah. You know, so, uh, yeah. Well, you chose a song today, Feeling Good by Nina Simone. Is this a favourite of yours? All her songs, they have history, they have stories. She was a, one of the, the Black Panther during the, the time in America. And everything she writes, even when she danced on stage, she's telling story with her body. And she's she's releasing and, and she is she's almost thinking what she's trying to do or what she's trying to say with all those like most of those people like Ness Simone and Elfish Child, they all their songs were so revolutionary. Oh yeah. And yeah. So for me, I think when I came to Australia, I didn't know these people when I was in Sierra Leone. I didn't know yeah. about it. So when I came, I got really fascinated as to how they dance, how they move, or the attitude to their face. It's, a, it's like storytelling. You've seen the story. She's telling a story to a song and she have anger. She have frustration. She have love. She have all these things. So I love everything in a Simone and, um, and feeling good. I'm a feel good person. So I love anything that just brings me joy and it releases my body. <laughs> so this song is Feeling Good by Nina Simone. So welcome back, everyone, to Aging Fearlessly this week with Aminata Conte Bijou. <laughs> It's a gorgeous name, by the way. Thank you. Aminata, 
the situation leading up to you being released after you've been captured and, you know, what happened uh, after you've been released or leading up to being released? So being released, released, I was... um, um, I was put on television, on TV. So my dad, my father, my friends at school found out that I was alive because my dad didn't know if I was alive. I didn't know if he was alive. But I think there was something in him that didn't let go of that hope. So I was on television and, and I was part of an exchange. The rebels and the government for the first time make a peace sort of arrangement. They will release some children and then the government would give them some food and medication because there were times that we didn't eat for weeks. So I became part of that, that, that exchange. I was not mental, but miraculously, as my life is, I was there and I was given a letter to give to the government. So after that, um, I had to leave Sierra Leone very as soon as I can because my kidnapper didn't know when I was released. So he was searching for me. So I had to leave Sierra Leone and go to Guinea Conakry, which is a the neighboring country, it's a French colonial line. Yeah. So I went there, and because my, my release was on TV, the UNHCR have heard of my story. So uh, as soon as I got into Guinea, um, they tried, they were they were really working hard to get me out of um Africa. A lot of yeah, for, for me not to be found and and things mm. like that. So yeah, so then I end up in Australia. Well. I've never heard of Australian before. Oh, it's <laughs> no. just over there. It's just a little way across the water from it was, Sierra. It was very, my dad was a businessman all over Europe. My sisters live in London, Scotland school. So I was very familiar with the West and we're very familiar with the West in, in Sierra Leone. But um, when I heard of Australia, I'm like, oh, what is that? <laughs> what is that place? Where is that? <laughs> and, and I remember the UNHCR man said to me, Oh, it's a, it's a, it's, um, it's English, uh, but it's, um, the program is delayed. We we were the first refugees. So as Australian immigration goes, it took longer. Yes. So I decided to wait because I didn't want to go to the U S I didn't want to go to the, in Canada. I didn't want to go to the UK because I had so much family member there and friends. And I didn't want my people to recognize me that I was on television. So that's why I chose Australia because we were new. Nobody knew me. So even yeah. the group that came, we came together, I didn't know I was the girl. So I was really, I wanted to keep my identity. And I always wanted, I, I also wanted to come to a country where people did not know my story, would not have pity on me. If they want to help me, I want to be kind to me. They'd have to have a refugee story. Yeah. They don't have to, you know, so, so I was very... Uh, conscious of my life, how I choose my life, whatever time I have in this world, how I want to spend it. So one of that was the reason why I end up choosing Australia. I want to jump back one step. Were you eighteen when you were kidnapped? Yes. yes. And you were released how long after? I, I remember that I was being I was kidnapped for seven months, but I don't remember how long. So most of my friends that I was kidnapped with will say more. I don't remember. Something has blocked it. I always feel like it was shorter time because I got released before them. When I was writing my book, my ghostwriter, uh, Juliet, interviewed all the people in that book that was mentioned. So she spoke to them and, she, and they go like, and she would say to me, you don't know how long. I said, no, I always think sometimes it's three months or seven months. So are you happy to describe a little bit of the time that you were a prisoner? 
Yeah, yes. Well, because it was the, it was very intense. It was most of the, it was one of the most intense time during the war, even after it's been going on for eleven years. Because the rebels and the government were just fighting. The government was trying to push yeah. them out, and the rebels were getting tired because they fought for long. There was no weapon too much. My first intimacy with a man, um, I was raped by five, seven or eight men. I still don't remember but more. Oh my goodness. And as soon as that happened, in a few minutes, in that minute, the bomb, we hear bombs. So we, you, didn't, you don't even have time <laughs> to, to soak in what has happened to your body. So we, we flew right where we start running again in the bush. So this is not in the street, in the bush. And we were, um, no bright colors like this, what I'm wearing today. We have to wear something like a black or khaki color. So yeah. we come up, we come up, we, we, yes, we camouflage. And if they see you wear something bright, they think you're giving a signal, they will, sh- they will kill you, they shoot you. And yeah, my life just became that every single minute, every single day. So we just sometimes we get into a place where this, we sleep in a place where there's just full of dead body. Um, oh. And sometimes we would just not eat. Um, there's no food for weeks. And sometimes you're running and running. Next person next to you, bullet just because they got their weapons are just firing. People are just shooting. They're not looking at you to shoot. So somebody next to you will just fall. Boom. That's it. Um, but my life became that and being uh, um, abused constantly. Uh, no, I, 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 I almost um, took a bit of pleasure or I don't know how, to, how would I describe it when, when the war was happening, when we were not staying in the same place, because every time I had a peace stay and settle in a place, something would happen to me. But when we were running, nothing would happen. I was running. I was like now with guns or, or RPGs or bombs. So, and then if we settle, if we stay still, something happened to me, um, you mm. know, so you're, you're in between, you can't like, there's no breathing space. And my kidnapper kidnapped about four girls. So it was one kidnapper? Yeah, one, one soldier that kidnapped. So they would kidnap maybe seven girls of three. Either, either, yeah. And, and they would take young girls. And for me, um, the girls that I was kidnapped with, I went to school with them. It was, uh, we became sort of like a sisterhood. We still talk. Yeah. And people actually thought we were sisters at one point. Um, and but he became really obsessed with me that he didn't want the girls he wanted just me so I was in this place where I was feeling why that why me because most of the time my friends nothing was they were not being raped and for me he became more obsessed because um I had never had um intimacy with a man so that became like a possessed to him that I, I am his yeah, that that was a, a really tough time, and I was thinking of oh. my dad. I was thinking of my dad a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot. And my grandfather at that time, because we listened to radio when we were kidnapped, the rebels have radio, so they listen to BBC news to hear about yeah. what they talking about. So um, I heard my grandfather because they would announce sometimes in civilian people that have been killed. So my grandfather was brutally; he was one hundred and seven years old. So it was oh, yeah. wow. That's almost unheard of to reach yes. 107. Yes. 107, 107. And he had the most beautiful skin. And oh, he speaks so loud. I swear to you, you would hear him from home to the junction. <laughs> he, he was just he was just heavily. He was just a beautiful soul. That mm. would that made me sad. There was only you of your sisters, 
your father in this room. There was only you that was kidnapped. Um, well, I'm, I was I was kidnapped. Then my my brother in the US, who since I was growing up, he loved me. My brother was like a, my protector. <laughs> Even boys can come next to me. So my brother had seen me being taken away. Yeah, um, I talked about this in my book. He volunteered, followed me, which was really painful for him because most of the time when those things were happening, he was there. And um, the rebel that kidnapped me because he was obsessed with me, so he kept my brother because mostly at his age, you would ask him to go fight the war. Yes. So because he was obsessed with me, so my brother was kept close to me for that reason. Like for, like for me, he wanted me to like him. So keeping my brother close was something that he would do just so I can like him. So my brother was um, kidnapped with me where he volunteered. You were eventually released and that must have been such a relief to you to see your father again. Hmm. How did that feel? Oh, um, ah, yeah. My dad was, um, yeah, I... I remember coming home after they picked me from the barracks where the Amins are um, and coming home, my dad was waiting and people were waiting in the street. He, he was such in a, in a blessed place because his children, he, they, they only released 21 kids. Mm. And, and I truly believe that because he was such a good person that he was so blessed to, for two children to be released too. Yeah. Two, um, but he was just not the same person when we came. Mm. No, had it all been too much for him. Yeah, it yeah, was, it was hard to see him. It's okay. Sorry. No, it's alright. Oh. Um, was. I'm hard not supposed. To, I'm not supposed to make you upset today. It's my. It's my most painful part in my story for my dad because um, to be. To be kidnapped, you hear a story of people being kidnapped and you hear a story of being child being lost. But to a father that love his children and protect and to know that somebody had a gun and take your child in your hands, I was holding his hands. It felt like he failed. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure. Do you want to take a keep, deep breath? Yeah, a bit. I'm so sorry. Oh, I guess you've had to answer these questions so many times. Let's go on to the the book, The Rising Heart. Yeah. And it's your memoir that shares your personal journey and the things that happened to you when you were captured, uh, including rape. How did you deal with the shame or what what some people would just say, you, you know, they couldn't, they would never get past this. How did you deal with this? Well, um, I, I think everybody just deal with this kind of thing so differently. When I was kidnapped, it was part of the life and part of the reason why they kidnapped girls. And coming to Australia, choosing Australia, I think that helped me heal a lot and understood. Um, I was able to forgive when I, when I, after I was released. I didn't even know the depth of forgiveness, but I just knew that I fought too hard to survive to hate. <laughs> I really, yeah. I did not want hate and I did forgive it. Like, I, and it's incredible sometimes when we just 
believe in something. It's something you have to know. You just got to trust. So for me, when I forgave, I, I really did not think about these men. So they didn't have any power over me. But I didn't know too much a word about rape because I said I was very protected. So the word rape was not a word that we use. I didn't know too much about it. Even for movies, my dad was, all the movies that we watched was very clean. Yeah. Um, Disneyland. <laughs> yeah, no, not anymore. So when I came to Australia, I think I was just trying to make sense of my story. But because I forgave and, and I wanted to live life so beautifully, I wanted to have life the fullest. So when I came, I, I started to understood, okay, why is it I'm feeling a bit ashamed? You just have this conversation with yourself. And you don't, you don't go tell people that you're raped or anything like that. You don't even think about it on a daily basis. Well, I, I think for me, I don't. But I think as time goes, um, I start to understand there was a shame there. For me, when I was kidnapped, the word, I was, it was used a lot too much. It was beautiful. The rebel that kidnapped me was saying all the time I was beautiful. And I didn't understand what it meant because it, with the way I grew up, beauty was from the inside. So I didn't know ah. how to see the beauty from the inside out. So I didn't understand that. I would, we were raised really conservative. No conservative. We, we, did, we were, we don't, we don't, like, I don't ever put makeup or any, like, we were very content. We were brought up so Beauty was not like, oh, I'm beautiful. My dad yeah. was in my head, so it was from the inside. So when I came to Australia, people said to me, I'm beautiful, I'll go like, and I'll get shocked. I'll, I'll go like, oh, have I done something? So that triggers, that triggers a lot. But the shame, it, shame didn't touch me that much. It didn't touch me. And I think I have to give always the credit to my dad because um, I was able to know that it's not my fault, apart from the beautiful part. And the war had been going on for such a long time. We've had a lot of rape cases. So I didn't think that I was special to be mm. like something, oh, they raped me. So that, because it happened so much. It was the core of the, of the war. And so, I'm, well, you feel guilt. I think guilt and, and shame uh. is what we all suffer. Like any victim, any victim that I will even content in argue that they will feel rape and shame so shame I felt it but I didn't understand why I was feeling it yeah I was very comfortable in my body I love myself I didn't have anything that I don't like I'm uh, I'm very confident and I love being with myself I love my own company so I didn't understand I, and when I when I walk in a room I don't feel like oh I'm, I'm small I feel big so I didn't I didn't get that part and I love men you know, um, I grew up with the most incredible father, the most incredible man. So I didn't have hate towards men. And I didn't, I didn't feel less because something has been taken. I didn't feel all those things. So I have to be so grateful for my dad and my spiritual belief that I was worth it. And in that understanding the difference that what was done to me was taken from my body, but my spirit was still alive. You know, mm. my spirit was there. So for me, Again, I'm in such a grateful place and I don't take it for granted a lot that I, was, I had this wisdom on my own that was coming that was able for me to value myself. Yeah. So, but I know the shame was coming, but it was not really affecting me at all. It was not. I think many of the things you've just spoken about are things that we could learn here in modern day society about loving the person that you are. I mean, you just said... Some wonderful things in Aminata. All these young women out there today are trying to make their lips look bigger, their eyelashes look bigger, <laughs> their cheeks look bigger, and, you know, they're forgetting that 
that beauty from within. Yeah. And that's where it does come from. And that's what people see is what makes you shine. Yeah. It that does. beauty from within. And so well, it, it's also even the people that do that, they're trying to, and it, I will never sit in a place of judgment. They're trying to chase that beauty but you, you can you can never chase it from that sort of way. You can never because inside, <laughs> yeah, inside is not fixed, and this is not no any kind of inspirational talk. We all know no. that you can you can be in a in a house that is suspended on the water, and you have yachts, you have all this thing. But this is why we have the the mental and the suicide because when you feel if you're not fully fully respectful of your life, your aging, even when, I mean, growing old, what a blessing and a privilege. Yeah. Like, oh my goodness. I can't yeah. even to get 50. Like I, for me, getting old is when I actually want to live life. You know how people, they live life when they're 20, going nightclub. Yeah. I want to live now. I Like I'm more eager to just live life now. So again, um. Yeah. I think people are searching, they're thinking, but you don't have to search because whatever you're searching for is in you. It is so in you. Gosh, we've got to do another interview about <laughs> this at some stage. Uh, your your song, uh, Frank Sinatra, My Way. Oh, my God, I love this song. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, love, I love the old school. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. The old school, yeah. Uh, it's just such a great we don't have to say anything do we it's just such a great song oh yes it just explains itself like those songs for me when I listen to the words I'm like I just see that like oh yeah that's me that like exactly that is me isn't it wonderful it's liberating to know who you are and you know when you tell you even by song like yes that's me I'm feeling it so uh that song is just that doing it your way I'm I'm sort of a really that's why probably I would never be a politician or, or celebrity because I love my free spirit. I love being free. And when I'm in free, the mind, it's not like, oh, I'm in a free country. I can do what I want. That's not freedom. For me, it's the mind to know I can control, to know that oh. I have a choice. You know, so, so for me, I just go like, yeah. So I love that, that to know that I cannot be tamed. I cannot be tamed. No. So when I'm in a, when I'm in a, in a restaurant, you'll be hearing me laughing so loud. Oh, <laughs> I cannot. I, like I, yeah, I, I, I'm going to be listening for you. So, <laughs> so this is Frank Sinatra, My Way. So welcome back to Aging Fearlessly. Our guest today is Aminata. Aminata is the founder of the Aminata Maternal Foundation and she is a refugee here in Australia after leaving Sierra Leone. Aminata, I want to just jump back a bit for something that you said because I wrote a note you were talking about hate and that you don't hate. And we're going back to the time that you were um, kidnapped and raped in Sierra Leone. Do you know, you just brought back the memory to me of some words that um, Nelson Mandela said after his imprisonment. And people said to him, do you hate that, you know, and do you feel angry? And he said, no, why? Mm. You know, you've got to let that go. And I can't remember his exact words, but... As soon as you said that, I thought Nelson Mandela. Yeah. <laughs> um, anyway, Dear to Your Heart is your foundation, the Aminata Maternal Foundation. What inspired you to create the foundation and to share a little bit about this foundation? 
So what inspired me is I've always wanted to be a place of serving human, like serving, be of service is the way I was raised by my dad. So um, the foundation was found because of my daughter, Serafina, who um, I gave birth to in 2012 and had a complication and almost, when I mean almost like in a blink, almost lost her. Yeah, so it was a really complicated birth. I had seven doctors in the room and my husband could not, I, could, I did not hear my husband's voice. My mom's face was on the wall praying, thinking that she's going to lose a, a child, a, the only daughter, my sister. Nobody was talking. And when Sarafina was born, I was, yeah, very blessed that, again, because I'm in Australia, uh-huh. so privileged. I had seven doctors and to make sure that I survived and she survived. And um, we, they kept us in the hospital for a couple of days and a hand, a, right, a left, right hand got injury. And I think just, I've always, I'm always one of those people that don't fall in, don't fall into the nice fancy words, inspiration, empowerment and all that. In my, the way I was raised was you have a responsibility. When you know better, you do better. So for me, when my daughter was born, I, I hear these doctors, they were doing research, they were talking about me, about maternal health. I didn't know what that word meant, maternal. I didn't know. So when I came home, um, I started Googling, oh, what is this? And, I start, and then as I'm realizing this horror of, wow, a woman can just want to give birth and die just like that? Yeah. Just because. And then I learned that my country, Sierra Leone, have the highest in the world. At that time, one in eight women would die in childbirth. And I was just, I just could not bring myself to accept that. I, I looked at my daughter. I remember going to my, my daughter's room one day. And I looked at her and I said, she's the most important human being in this world. I feel like I've given my, my part into society, giving birth to a daughter. But she's not important than anybody else's child, no matter what part of the world. I felt what I was feeling for her. That's what every single mother feels. I really mm. believe that. Despite the circumstances when you carry a person like that for how many months and you give birth to them, let's forget what the circumstances is for you brought a life into this world. So um, I felt a sense of responsibility. I really did. I, I'm not a doctor. I'm dyslexic. At, at that time, I, I'm an ambassador for you. I've been an ambassador for UNHCR. So I've created a lot of network. I've been a storyteller. I, I've been, I think because of no social media at that time, um, you we could not hear anything that people see now. I've been talking, telling stories for 17, 20 years through UNHCR. I've been an ambassador. So people have known me and they've trusted me. So what I did was I put professors together at UNHCW and just put this thing out there. And I'm like, why are women dying? It was not to build a foundation, I swear. I was like, I didn't even know <laughs> how to build a foundation. And then friends just put some people together at university. And they were just having meetings every two months, three months. And... It was after three years, they said, oh, you should say, we should say this as an organization. I'm like, what does that mean? <laughs> <laughs> and then I just went on the journey. And it's just been a learning process from day one because I said to you, I'm dyslexic. I learn from people. I'm, I like talking. I like communicating with people. I listen yes. very well. I learn by spending time with you and you tell me things and I go and do it. So yeah. I'm not an academic and nor do I ever want to be. <laughs> Um, so got, I'm with you there. <laughs> yes, yeah, so I've got all the academics and all the people that know things in the room. And we just, we registered it um, in 2014. And we, we work with a hospital in Sierra Leone. So Sierra Leone has the, 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 the um, is the most dangerous place in the world 
in the world for any yeah. woman to give birth. Every day, eight women will die in childbirth. Yes. Eight a day. Eight a day. And it is, the, it is one in 70 women die in childbirth in, in the statistics, while in Australia, it's one to 7,800 mm-hmm. in Australia. The country has eight obstetrician in the whole country, the same population of New South Wales. That's amazing, isn't New it? New South like- Wales have eight, over 500 obstetrician. And for me, I just feel like I'm in this beautiful country that I have so much. For, we, I always believe this saying, for whom much is given, much is required. I felt like I'm required to do something. So really, that's how the foundation started. So we, we've done really well. It's a, I call it a small but mighty organization. But uh, we struggle a bit because of resource. Australians do not know Sierra Leone. Yeah. And so it's always a challenge to get the resource. I have run it for... I'm in over, it's going out to eight years. I'm not paid. I had to go on Centrelink because I knew it requires so much time. Yes. So I had to leave my job and go and do it and do not, and, and know that I was blessed to be in a country where I can get income from the government. So I'm very grateful. But now we're in a place where we need resources to sustain the organization. We need sustainable giving. Like um, what we're doing is magical. I, like I don't even need somebody yes. to praise me about that. But without the resource, without sustainable giving, we can't. I, it's it's hard to keep it going the way it would go. But we've done such a marvelous work. So that for me, I'm in a place now where, as you know, last week I spoke at a press club. It's yes. where I feel echo getting out to the nation. Because I know also Australians are remarkable. Give, they give, but they need to yes. get information. And, and, and I, I'm competing. Well, I'm not competing. I'm next to the bigger organization up here. And I'm like this little. So people don't know about me. So it yes. was a privilege for me to speak at a press club. But yes. what we're doing is pure miracle. Like, and we're doing it for the women of Sierra Leone. Not for us. Not, I don't want an award for it. I want these women to win an award for it because they're the one doing the work, yes. providing the resource. So, so that, that's something that I'm really focused in on moving forward to get corporate partnership, to get workplace giving, to get all this because it's really run by volunteers. Mm. We run in a very capacity as a bigger organization. We're fully tax deductible. We, we have exceptional board members. But we, are, yeah, that's something I'll continue now moving forward to really play to the Australian community to, to get to experience that whatever you put in, you will see where, where it's going. But, well, the other thing is at the end of the interview um, and when I post this podcast, we will put up a link so that people can actually find your Aminata Maternal Foundation and learn more about it and hopefully offer some donations, which yeah. would be really great. It's a very deserving foundation helping these women. We all live in a safe country here and we take it for granted the opportunities that we have. How is your life shaped? How you live every day? I live every day in a place of gratitude for my for breathing. So I have this that has become part of my life. I wake up, I'm in bed around five, ten past five, and I'm literally thanking God for being alive for being able to breathe. And that what that teaches you, it teaches you to be to have empathy for others. Yeah. It teaches you to, to know that we are all here. We are all 
one human family as much as we don't want to agree to it yes <laughs> no they don't like to it's oh. it's hard to believe that we're all human the same the same makeup. the color we... just happened because of something that happened but it's just the same um yep. and it teaches me to be so appreciative of the people around me i love the people around me i'm, I'm one of those people that go like my surrounding is so important. The people that I've let in my life and the people that I know that it's no longer serving me, I leave them gracefully and wish them well. Um, oh, I like that. Yeah, I leave them gracefully. I don't have to make noise about it. I just go, thank you and pass on. Somebody else will need you. And I think, yeah, I, it's just, it's not a big thing. As everything that we do in life, people drink coffee every day. It's a habit. You go to the gym every day. It's a habit. For me, my habit, my practice is what I feed to myself, because I think that feel good when you go out, even if something come and knock you, they will not knock you all the way down. You know, you would, you just like, okay, because I know, I know life is not personal. Life is not perfect. Things are happening. So I'm not, I'm waking up feeling like, Ooh, life should be perfect. No, I know things will happen down the way, but I come prepared. And I think when, when we do that for ourselves, we get to, appreciate the life that we live but we get to see others as us mm. you know yeah. as i said in the press club about refugees about people of color about all this now the only issue is because you don't see me as you i don't see you as me that's the problem so when that so for me when i wake up i see my kids my husband and again i'm not being all gypsy all stuff i'm grumpy in the morning especially with my kids <laughs> and my husband i am so grumpy like i'm like a planet my husband is fully happy all the time and i accept that you know but i wake up with the intention <laughs> i wake up with the intention to being good and kind by the end of the day i get to school i'm feeling better you know so it's not perfect it's i always say life is a beautiful crazy dance there's nothing the imperfect i just mellow in it but really I do wake up in, I don't even call it intention. It's just a being, appreciating my being and knowing that whatever I want for myself, I want it for others. So I put it mm. out there and that's how I have grown to look. And, and I know that in every circumstance, I'm privileged. You might have more than me, but I am privileged to others, you know, even yeah. in Australia here. So I think that's yeah. a conversation I like to, I always say, I want to have people because the moment you say privilege, people are like, no, I'm not, I'm poor. No, you are, <laughs> you know? Yeah. I am. <laughs> so yeah. Yeah. we're very big on comparing ourselves, aren't we? Yeah. yeah. And, and I do that with my story. When I tell my story, I go to schools and I tell my, I, and I say to people, I don't tell it as much because the book is there. Do not compare my story to yours. If you've had a heartbreak, I've never had a heartbreak. I've never had a disease. I've never had those things to know what you do not compare the story or my pain to yours because the pain are the same. I don't know what it feels like to lose somebody in that kind of way. So don't go and feel like, oh, she's done all that and do what she's doing. No, this is just me. And this is me choosing to be who I am. And you can do that if you want that. Yeah. Um, how is it that one person can make such a big difference in the world? Every one of us, mm-hmm. I'm sure, can. How, how do you see it that we can make a difference? Oh, it's just choice. Simple. It's really just choice. Yeah, it's just choice. And we think choice is so expensive. We take, we take it so much for granted, but it's, a, it's so simple. 
I made a choice every day, like every single but every single one, but we make it you know, in a way that we want it to benefit us or benefit others is the way you make it. Because we think of choices and freedom as, oh, I live in a free country so I can say whatever I want. But the idea that people go like, I actually can choose to make a difference. It doesn't have to be a big platform. It doesn't have to be noise. Uh, when I go to school, kids say, oh, I want to work for UN. I want to work for this big organization. And I look at that like, why can't you start kindness to your neighbors? You have a neighbor that's older. Go with the garden. Yeah. Go. You have a friend. You have you have a, you go to school. You have a group of friends, and you see them and talk to them all the time. One day you might see somebody sitting there that's not your friend. Go talk to them because you are, you can actually save their life. You have a choice to say somebody sitting there. They're very quiet. For this week, I'm going to spend this week with them. That's a choice. You don't have to be in a group of. So it's all. The little things, it's not, it's not the big things that we think about. Oh, I'm going to, I'm choosing to go to overseas for holiday. That's what we think about in the West, about choices. You know, mm. an African person who live in a slum would not have a food to eat, but we'll wake up in the morning, get dressed and go out. Mm-hmm. And you know what? Food will show up there. That's a choice. Yeah, you lose your job. You stay in bed and cry. And you yeah. all of that. I'm not. I'm not trying to downplay it, but I'm just trying to say, wake up, go to the sun, put your face in the sun. You will meet somebody that will light up your day. So all those things are choices that we we've made choice so expensive. The one thing that we have power over with that we're born with, we've made it so luxurious and expensive that we don't we don't even acknowledge how much we have it. The only time you don't have it is when you're gone. <laughs> you <Yeah>. know. <laughs> Uh, honestly, I am. Um, I'm hanging on to every word that you say because <laughs> it just makes you stop and think about the little things that we have in life that are so wonderful. And you've said so many things today. I love it when I find that person that you're sitting. I had a conversation a couple of weeks ago with someone at the beach, and we were talking about just bits and pieces and I walked away and I said you just made my day my partner says to me all the time did you have a nice day today who did you talk to because he knows me going out and talking to people is sorry is what I love yeah I just love talking to people it's the same because sometimes I'll go to events the other day I went to an event they go like oh you want to sit with I'm like no I want to sit with people that I don't know and and people look at me I'm like I don't want to see people that I know I know you why do I want to talk to you (laughs) (laughs) and I went to these South American people like we're all dancing and laughing and these South American women it it was just like we're in the same universe you know um we're we're dancing together we're laughing I'm like I have I can remember their face forever like why do I want to go sit with the same friends and say the same thing like we see each other out of this no and this is what that's what I'm saying. Everything is so programmed. Now, if you want to go to events, people will get you would like to even organize a table for an event. It's like, oh my goodness. Who yeah. wants to sit with who? No, I like put me where I don't know anyone. 
Yeah, I love it. So when you were dancing with these South American women, were you doing your best Nina Simone? I was doing my Nina Simone. I was doing the African move, everything. I was just, I was even doing the, the Colombia or South American dance, like everything. Isn't it, isn't oh, it dear. wonderful? So um, your, your final song for this interview is Dancing on the Ceiling. Were you dancing on the ceiling with Lionel Richie? Yes, 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 yes. I love Lionel Richie. I saw Lionel Richie when he came to Australia. Um, I mean, who do not want to dance on the ceiling? Like, like <laughs> and just release. Um, uh, I could I, probably I, turn the computer upside down, and you could dance on the floor, yeah. and people would think you were dancing on the ceiling. I know. Yeah, I love Lionel Richie. Is just classic, you know. So, um, yeah, I love. I love anything that makes me. Uh, that's why I say, like, I love people that do yoga and meditation because I, I, I can't do it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, I think with the meditation, I think people just overthink it. And am yes. I meditating or am I not meditating? I'm thinking too much. Yeah, see, for me, meditation, I wake up five, five, ten past five in the morning and I go to the bush side and I go for a nice walk and I listen to podcasts. I listen to gospel music and I listen to sometimes. I'm one of those people you see in the street at night. They go like dancing. You can hear my voice like really <laughs> like dancing in the street. Don't even care. Yeah. Um, yeah, so that's my meditation. Everybody have theirs, but I can't be still. No. Yeah, mine's swimming in the ocean. Oh, so this is dancing on. <laughs> the ceiling with Lionel Richie. Today's guest on Aging Fearlessly is Amanata Conte Bija and we've been having a wonderful chat about her life and it certainly is a story that you will love and her book Rising Heart and her foundation the Amanata Maternal Foundation. Amanata what are three things you'd like to share today? Oh I don't I'm not so much a good advice person but I think a takeaway is so one thing that is that I've been again conscious about in life is to know that you have a choice to know that yes like I think oh once you know that it's such a liberation in every in every circumstance you, you have a choice not to respond you have a choice to choose who you want in your life and that means um even your family member you don't have to make chaos about it. You can have them in your life and have them in certain, not have them in certain part of your life. You can choose to say, this is a bad situation that have happened, but you know, let me, let me leave it there and let me go, go on. And you can choose to, you can have, you have a choice to cry and feel. You have a choice to get angry, everything. I think, I just feel like it's, we don't know it. We don't know we have the choice. And, and even with COVID, and um, the way other countries do in, uh, um, receive COVID and, and the way we do and having a choice like, okay, I'm in Australia, I'm home, I'm safe, I'm well. Um, let me just enjoy this moment because you know what? You don't have tomorrow. None of us do. Yeah. <laughs> Make sure you do it. If I, if I have to be remembered, my last conversation is to know that, oh, she was laughing. Oh, she was like crying in a passionate way. So I think <laughs> choice choice like really find try to understand what that means to you and I think that will give you peace it really will give you peace it really will I love that Mm. do you think that choice is enough for people to take away there's lots of things around choice there today I think it's a beautiful way to finish yes yeah I think so I think so Amanata 
how do people learn more about your work? Is there a website? Yes, there's a website. It's uh, Aminata um, at uh, AminataFoundation.org. Well, I'm going to share that as well at the end with a link, but I honestly have to say, Aminata, it is a privilege to hear your story today. You've been incredibly generous, and I know that you love to talk about the work that you're doing, and I am so looking forward to meeting you in person. Thank you so much. The Ageing Fearlessly program is a very important program for men, women, and younger people these days who are listening to it. Uh, Sometimes we share things about, you know, the the more mature people in the world like myself and my mum and all of those that are reaching, hopefully someday 107 like your grandfather. But, um, you know, there's so many wise people that come on this show sharing their stories. So I thank you very much and cheerio. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. You are welcome. So this is it for today's program. It's time to say cheerio to the wonderful Northern Beaches community. Join me next week for another episode of Ageing Fearlessly. And now for a song written by Nick Howard, especially for the listeners. This is Karen Sander. Have a fantastic week. And remember, ageing is inevitable and growing old is a choice. The sun is shining bright There's a sparkle in your eye It's not all nine to five It's a wonderful life Let's go and climb mountains high Swim across oceans wide This treasure that you've got to find